Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our pleasure and privilege to welcome you to the program today. Please stay with us for this hour as we are once more opening the Bible to learn from God. Wonderful topic today. We are going to talk about uh, God's grand Christ-centered plan. I'd like to welcome our panel for today. It's good to have you with us, Jerry. Panel and good morning, listeners. Wonderful to be here again. Denise, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nick. It's always a pleasure to be part of it. Ken, thank you for coming along. Thank you, Nick. Always a privilege to be here. Joe, it's good to have you with us too. Thank you, Nick. Good to be here today. And Lija, it's good to have you part of the program. Thank you. That's always a pleasure and a blessing. I would like to welcome back Will. It's good to have you with us, Will. Thank you, Nick, and I feel as if I'm in good company and feel welcome. Thank you. Len, it's good to have you with us today, and I would like to thank you first uh, for taking extra time to prepare this uh, Bible study or going to facilitate this discussion. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick, and hello, listeners. Well, Len... Uh, I think it's just important now to give ourselves to God to start this one. Why not to take us through, please? Very happy to do that. You know, listeners, I suppose you, like most people, have certain things you're thankful for. Very often when talking with older people, some say despite their health issues, they're very glad to be alive and appreciate to be able to look at the grass from above rather than from below. The Apostle Paul, who under inspiration authored the spiritual letter to the believers in Ephesus, the letters called Ephesians, adds a different dimension of gratitude, a spiritual one. This gratitude is based on the fact that whoever fully believes in Jesus Christ not only has peace, but if remaining faithful to our Lord and Saviour, is promised eternal life. Paul recognised that God has been proactive in providing the way and the means so that repentant sinners can be saved. And today, in our study in Ephesians, we'll discuss the link between worship, gratitude and praise But before we launch into this topic, it would be very appropriate if you would join us in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father and gracious God, as we spend some time together again this morning in the study of your word, as we try to unpack your grand Christ-centered master plan, may it fill our hearts with praise and, and thanksgiving. Help us understand how great your love is for the human family, that we should be called the children of God. We invite your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, our guide, and to guide our thoughts and to draw us ever closer to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We pray for a blessing on the panel members and on all our listeners, and we just give thanks now in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. Well, after the identification 
and salutations in verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians chapter 1, how does Paul begin his letter to the Ephesian believers? Well, Len, this, uh, this is interesting. We read uh, in Ephesians 1 chapter 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I think here we see Paul recognizes the magnitude of what God has done, not only for him, but all mankind, and wants to acknowledge this and thank him. Yes, it's interesting how that the Apostle Paul starts off with a message of gratitude and he mentions how God has blessed us and that's wonderful. So what does Paul mean by the phrase in heavenly realms or in some versions it says in heavenly places? I'll take that one, uh, Len. Ephesians 1 verse 3, as, uh, as Ken has read, says, Praise be to the God our Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms, or in the heavenly places, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Well, let me be quick to admit that as humans, we know very little about heavenly places or spiritual realities. But the Apostle Paul recognizes that God lives in heavenly places. Now, the words heavenly places shows up five times in the the book of Ephesus. Um, Allow me to list these five references as a reminder of what Paul is thinking about when he mentions these heavenly realms or heavenly places, and all of these are in Ephesians. Firstly, our blessings come from heavenly places. That's chapter 1, verse 3. The risen Christ is seated in heavenly places. That's Ephesians 1.20. We too will be seated with Christ in heavenly places. Ephesians 2, verse 6. God's purposes will be made known in heavenly places through the church. Ephesians 3, verse 10. And finally, the powers of darkness began in heavenly places. Ephesians 6 verse 12. So the book of Ephesians mentions heavenly realms as the sphere of spiritual activities. It has been the work of evil forces to disconnect our minds from all heavenly places or all things heavenly, especially the source of our salvation. And as one writer puts it, it is his love that encircles us. His love gives us the privilege of sitting together with him in heavenly places, resting in peace and joy in the Lord. I think all of the mention of heavenly places, Len, is metaphorical, shall I say, for being at peace and in the joy of his heavenly presence. Yes, I would like to add to that, that probably most Christians hope to go to those heavenly places later on. Well, we've had Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 read to us now twice. 
And Joe, would you mind reading it again? And could you explain about the spiritual blessings in Christ that Paul was talking about? Certainly. I'll read it again. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul tells us that every spiritual blessing is to be found in Christ, meaning that every provision, and I stress every provision for our salvation um, and the provision for the strength to live the life worthy of being called a son or daughter of God, this can only be found in Christ. We know that there is only one name given under heaven whereby we might be saved from other scriptures. And even now, although we are here doing the best that we can in this world, we can still receive the spiritual blessing. In fact, every spiritual blessing that we need on and for our journey. We can never receive any of these blessings through our own efforts or works. No other way, but only in Christ. And if in Christ we are united with divinity. I might just uh, stray a little to John 17 where that prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples and, you know, that I'll just, it's found in John 17, 20 to 25, but we might remember that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. May they also be in us that the world may know that you sent me. Um, he says that over and over again, that they may be perfectly united, I in them and you in me. And so in these texts, these are uh, familiar to many, and we are offered unity with God and Christ, the same as which Christ has with the Father. It's difficult to imagine, that is, that what is on the table, every spiritual blessing, think of the possibilities when in Christ. We often think that the only spiritual blessing refers to eternal life, But there are spiritual blessings to be had now, and that is being part of God. Yes. I was thinking while you were talking there, Joe, of all the blessings that we can receive, the blessing of good health, the blessing of a peaceful life, the blessing of a good partner, the blessing of having enough to eat and a home to live in, etc., etc., Is any of those blessings or are any of those blessings comparable to the blessing that we have in Christ? In other words, being saved through him. No, no. Many of those are physical blessings. But here Paul is talking of spiritual blessings which far exceed and, in fact, enhance the physical blessings of a good partner, you know, a great relationship with our family and children and good health. So that, uh, you know, all those physical blessings are great in and of themselves. But when you have the spiritual blessings, I think it amplifies and um, just really amps the the, the benefits um, that we have. Yeah. So the spiritual blessings actually just, um, what can I say, um, just enhance everything that we have here, every joy, every peace, everything that we have here on this planet. Yes, I see it as far superior. Absolutely. The blessings. Well, now, Joe, while you have the floor, so to speak, would you mind reading Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 to 6? And could you please answer this question, because the phrase is going to come up when you read, 
What does Paul mean? He chose us before the creation of the world. Well, it says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. It, it This tells us that God's plans for humankind preceded creation. God foresaw that there would be a crisis and took steps to safeguard the universe, to redeem, save, reconcile to himself all those who would have, who would desire it, that each and every person ever born would be given a chance to make a choice. Now, this, this plan was set in motion at some point in the eons of time beyond our scope of reasoning or comprehension. In fact, in... First Peter one twenty it says he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Now this is talking about Jesus. Jesus came forward as our substitute. He was chosen. He chose to be our savior willingly because he is love. He loved us first. In previous studies, we discussed how this Lamb of God was slain, and we might remember that, from the foundation of the world, and he alone was worthy of honor and worship. Now, in Ephesians 1.4, Paul says, For he, that is God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. The important point here is that God chose us. God could have deemed it too hard or viewed us as collateral damage in the war against evil. But no, he chose us to be his sons and daughters, to be with him in heavenly places, part of the royal family, and given every spiritual blessing in Christ. Isn't that something? Yes. Listeners, I don't know if you've thought about this much, but um, the reaction of God to sin wasn't just a knee-jerk reaction. God planned way ahead in case things went wrong with human beings, as they did, to have a rescue plan. So let's move on a little bit. In those verses you read, it's in verse 6, I think, this phrase came up, he in love predestined us to be adopted as his sons. So what's this talking about? Well, when you talk about uh, predestined, that comes from the word predestination. And something that is predestined is predetermined. It means that it can't be prevented or changed because it's, it's already been decided either by God or by faith. And is that how God decides who's going to be saved or lost? Is it is it like some sort of lottery system that favors one and rejects the other? And there is a belief that embraces that. It's it's a false belief and it's called predic- particular redemption, where where God is arbitrary in a sense. You're in, you're, and the other one, you're out. Now all people are created in the image of God and by God. We are all made or designed to reflect his glory and, and to live in his presence as his sons and daughters. That's that's 
what God's original plan was for the human family, that we would live in perfect harmony with each other and with our maker. And we know that it all fell apart through the entrance of sin. But as Paul says in in Romans chapter 5, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. In other words, by his marvelous grace, God is able to reestablish his predetermined or predestined plan for the human family. I think that's a wonderful thing to consider. And the ones who, having been once estranged from God, are now are now adopted back into the family of God as a result of the success of God's wonderful plan of salvation uh, that is centered in Jesus Christ. You know, God God wants all people to live, doesn't he? I'm reminded of what I read in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 32, where it says, For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore turn and live. God has wonderful plans for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared, or you could say predetermined, for those who love him. Yes, thank you, Jerry. Now, before you um, share what you have to share here, Nick, I, um, I know there's a number of people who, on this panel even, who've been teachers and the plan of a teacher when a teacher teaches a class is that everybody will pass. That's, if you like, predestined. Not everybody will because some just not good enough or they might have emotional problems or whatever it is. So God's plan is that every single human being should have eternal life. But there's an issue of choice which God cannot control. Nick, would you like to share what you have to say? Yes, Len and Panala. I would like to just uh, take a few moments to think a little bit more on this word uh, predestination or predestined because it can be uh, misunderstood in the context of the gospel. I would like to associate this word with uh, chosen because it gives a different sense. And you said, Len, that we are all chosen by God. That's why God died for us all, says in John 3.16. But the thing is a little bit different here. Let's take a couple of examples. For example, Israel, they were chosen. Chosen for what? They were predestined, if you like. For what? To be the light of the world. To carry on God's plan. They were chosen but was up to them if they follow that or not. And in the end, unfortunately, they didn't uh, in accordance with what God's plan was. Now, you and me, we are chosen to be his followers, to be Christians, to be the light of the world. Again, are we? Are we the light of the world? You know, predestination doesn't mean that even if you like it or not, you are a Christian now, and so be it, you have to bear it, even if you like it or not. That's not the case. I mean, we are privileged, we are chosen, we are predestined, if you like, to do the will of God. But because of free choice, we can take it or we can live it. 
this is a very interesting topic, Len, and many people are caught into this because they will say, what's the point for me to even uh, work towards something good or God's plan? Because if God predestined me not to be in his plan, then what's the point to work hard? And I think, as you just said there, God predestined us all or God chosen us all or God even delegated us to do the good work. Yes, I agree. Well, now, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, is the gospel in a nutshell. So, Lydia, would you mind reading that and then answer this question? What motivated God the Father to give us the one he loves, that's Jesus, to redeem sinful human beings? Yes, Len, if I read in chapter 1, verse 6, uh, says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So God the Father gave the one, the only one son, his treasured son, to redeem us as human beings. We as earthly beings, we cannot imagine fully what it means because God gave everything because he is love and from his divine love he gave humanity everything effectively everything it's exactly as uh, another person gives you a gift a big gift of his most treasured possessions in first john 4 8 it says god is love so god has done for me for you and for everyone who wants to receive it, the biggest gift ever, his son, his only son, to save us and to redeem us. It's up to me, my choice, if I want to receive it or no. Yes, thank you, Lydia. That was well explained. While you were talking, I was thinking, was it easy or was it hard for God to make that decision? Was it easy or was it hard for Jesus, God the Son, to go through with it? We won't discuss that now, but perhaps we'll just touch the idea in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, where it talks about the mystery of God's will. Denise, how do you understand the mystery of God's will? Well, let's first have a read of Ephesians 1, verses 8 and 9, but I think we need to start in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. Now, this word mystery, in in Paul's days, there were mystery religions, which were described by the Greek word mysterion, which referred to something that was to be revealed only to the members. Paul, however, here in Ephesians, used the word mystery to refer to something that was formerly hidden or obscured, um, but that was then revealed, so like a secret. And God revealed it for everyone to know and understand. 
Now, this mystery referred to something that was not known in the old in Old Testament times, but was revealed in New Testament times, and was revealed by God at an appointed time. And it involved the truth that not only Jews were included in God's plan of salvation, but also the Gentiles. So basically, this means that all people are invited to be included into God's kingdom. This was good news for the people of Ephesus, the majority of whom were Gentiles, and it's also good news for the whole world today. Yes, and I can see some heads nodding here, and I could uh, say exactly the same. Thank you, Lord. So, well, when and how... And with what purpose was that mystery revealed? Well, we'll let Paul answer that in Ephesians 1 verse 10, Len. It says that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. We read here that God's purpose is to sum up all things in Christ. It is focused on the person of Jesus Christ. His dearly loved son brings a plan of reconciliation. And uh, there will be a point where all things come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I believe whether willingly or unwillingly, because God's judgment against sin is part of the plan. Let me read Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. All those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So ultimately, then, as I see it, that... uh, One day, everyone will acknowledge Jesus as Lord, however many of them too late to be saved. I think if I have to fast track back to the day in which we live, the appeal comes to me, as I believe it does to this panel and probably every listener, is to make sure of that union with Jesus today because it's no good acknowledging him as Lord when the opportunity is past. Thank you, Will. And following on from what you just said, I would like to share a comment with you, and perhaps some of you in the panel would like to respond to this, and hopefully you as listeners would also give consideration. Here's the statement that I read. If death were the end of existence, then human life would be insignificant and meaningless. I'll read that again. If death were the end of existence, then human life would be insignificant and meaningless. Will, would you like to respond to that? As a youth, then, I often pondered the very basis of our existence. I'm sure we've all done that. And you know, those thoughts can be very unsettling too. What if there was no such thing as matter, no such thing as a universe, no such thing as life anywhere, no such thing as intelligent life, or even worse, and I hesitate to say this, 
no such thing even as a creator. Yes, no such thing, anything. No world, no life, no joy, no nothing, just oblivion. That's troubling for a young mind. Well, if death was the end of everything, we would have exactly that, oblivion. And it's a disturbing thought indeed. Instead, the Bible says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. What a change, what a difference. I hope that is meaningful to you because it is, it has shaken my soul through the years as a youth right until this day. Yes, I suppose a lot of people don't even bother to think about these big questions. Uh, Ken, would you like to share what you've got in mind? And also, Joe, follow on from Ken. I was just thinking, Len, about this. It's such a sad statement if there was no eternal life, no future life, because in this world, as we know, there are many people who have a really tough time in this life, and I believe many of them would give up life now, uh, and, and many actually do this at the present time, unfortunately, because they can't see any future. But one of the other things I find quite interesting for me personally is that As we all know, there are many injustices in this world and many people have got away with very serious crime. So again, if there was no future, these things would never be addressed. And as we know, there is a judgment coming up and all these things will be brought to light. So for the um, people's families and friends who've had uh, loved ones taken away from them and there's no justice in this world, the justice will come. But of course, apart from that, there's this wonderful future ahead for all of those who accept Jesus because the world is not a nice place to live in and it's getting worse. Thank you, Ken. Yes, Joe? I think that death, even if one didn't believe in God, that death actually does give us a sobering perspective in the sense that we realise if we're wise that all that is acquired, all that is achieved has to be left behind. And it kind of, um, and it's it's a very short expanse of time. So then people need to be mindful of how, you know, where do they invest their energies? Do they, are they putting it in something that's of value, something, uh, or are they just chasing the wind? There's a text in the Bible that says, teach me to number my days that I might incline my heart to wisdom. I thank God that this is not all that life is, that it's not just punctuated by birth and then death, but that there's far more, there's an eternity ahead of us. And even though someone who doesn't believe in God can appreciate its shortness, a Christian can appreciate that it can go on. And there is someone who's actually provided, made that provision for us, and we thank him for that. Okay, well, it's worthy of consideration. I'll read that statement again. If death were the end of existence, then human life would be insignificant and meaningless. But, you know, there are various religions that claim to provide the way out of the otherwise meaningless of life. Hindus claim that upon death, an individual assumes another form depending on how they lived the previous life. 
Roman Catholics are taught that it's only by following the rights and conditions laid down by the church that an individual can be saved. Having been purged in purgatory and achieving perfection, only then will they be good enough to dwell in heaven. The Pharisees attempted to meticulously keep the Ten Commandments in order to be saved. All of the above methods rely on one's own personal efforts to be good enough to be saved. Well, if they're right, then what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians about Christ being the be-all to salvation would be wrong. So, Ken, what did the Apostle Peter have to say about how salvation is to be obtained? Well, Len, Len we, we read in Acts 4 and verse 12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is such an important statement, and one that many Christians don't read or don't know. Many of them believe that you can obtain salvation from men or the dead and departed Mary. But this is not what the Bible tells us. Salvation is from Christ and Christ alone. And this hope is found in Christ, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 and verses 11 to 12, where it says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. So again, then, the Bible makes it very clear that the only door to salvation and heaven is through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes. Some people go beyond the word hope, saying that we have our hope in Christ. They say we have our assurance in Christ, and I like that. So, Joe, those who put their hope in Christ might become, as it says in verse 12, for the praise of Christ's glory. What do you understand this praise of his glory is all about? The phrase uh, for the praise of his glory or for his glory are interesting ones. Firstly, I believe God is to be praised and I'm just taking, picking out phrases from these texts. Firstly, God is to be praised for his glorious grace and the richness of his grace, which he lavished on humanity, on each and every one of us, that in him, that is Jesus, we were chosen. Chosen for what? Well, the answer is given by Paul, that it is God's purpose to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Another translation uses the word to gather. The Good News translation says to bring all creation together, everything in heaven and on earth, with Christ as head. In other words, this turbulent and troubled world will be restored in harmony with God and the rest of the universe. The mystery of his, that is God's will in humanity's salvation, and I think Denise spoke very eloquently there, while not done for vainglory, will elicit praise of his, that is God's glory, both now and for eternity. Secondly, when Jesus walked this earth, he taught his disciples, and I won't read all the texts, Matthew 5, 16, 14 to 
I think it is, 16. And it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So to the praise of his glory also refers to the way we live our lives. People may bless and thank God for our presence or our choices may detract from God's glory. Hence, it is what God has done for us in in saving us and what he is doing through us, that is, for and to the praise of his glory. It's interesting to consider that as Christians, we who commit ourselves to Christ are for the praise of his glory. It's like if you uh, plant a seed in the ground and it comes up. It's a reward, if you like. And this is the same as I see it, for the praise of Christ's glory. Now, Nick, the... King James Version of the Bible and the New King James Version of the Bible in Ephesians 1.11 use this expression, and here it is, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. Inheritance? Well, what about wages? Would you like to share something on this? I would love to uh, just comment a bit on that one, but I just like to first... Um, take a moment and share with our uh, good friends today listening to this broadcast that you can have a book from us. We are very happy to share with you this wonderful uh, daily devotional called God's Amazing Grace. If you like to learn more about God's grace, why not to ask for this book? And you can only need to send a text message to our number. The number is 0482098383. The code for the book is SABS1. Len, as we mentioned so far, that the majestic, glorious plan of salvation in which God includes us all, involves God's grace, which we don't deserve. But also the Bible speaks about wages. Now, if I will um, just look at Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says here, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we may think that um, because God says that we are saved by grace, that's all free doesn't cost anything. Wrong. That cost dearly, God. It cost a lot. It cost Jesus' life. That free gift, actually, the wages being paid for the sin. That's why we have that free gift. You know, I like to say in other words, Len, that for everything what we do in life, we are paid, even for good or for bad. As we just read here, the wages of sin is death. But even if we do good, we'll get rewards. God is going to pay us, to pay us all. It's uh, in God's business, it's not like in these days when sometimes people are working and they don't get paid. <laughs> you know, we are paid for everything what we do. 
why not to do good things for God and receive his reward? Now, salvation, it's a free gift, again, from God. And inheritance land, as you just mentioned before, even those people who inherited things from their parents or maybe a relative, somebody worked hard for that thing. When you inherited something, don't think, oh, that's just a free gift, I can, you know... Uh, enjoy it and that's all. With that free gift, it comes a responsibility. Okay, yes, I would say there's a, a very close correlation between the two words inheritance and gift. So, Ledger, how can anyone tell when he or she has been accepted to receive the inheritance of eternal life? Is there something that marks that occasion. As we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse uh, 13 and 14, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession in the praise of his glory. In exploring the importance of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers, Paul uses here two images, or let's say metaphors for the Spirit. First, he pictures the Holy Spirit as a seal, identifying a sealing presence of the spirit that occurs from the time of conversion. In ancient times, seals were used for a wide variety of functions to authenticate copies of laws or agreements to validate the the excellence or quantity of uh, containers content or to witness transactions, contracts, letters, wills or anything else. Here, the presence of the Holy Spirit in in people's lives marks believers as belonging to God and conveys God's promise to protect them. So they have been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Paul plainly states one gives his or her life to Jesus and believes in him. The Holy Spirit seals that believer in Christ for the day of redemption. The Spirit of God marks Christ's followers with the seal of salvation right when they first believe. The second image, Paul uses the for the Holy Spirit that is the guarantee. So the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance, which looks towards the moment when the inheritance is to be given in full. This word, translated guarantee, indicates a first installment, a deposit or a down payment that requires the payer to make an additional payment. So the person that receives it uh, from God, this treasured presence of the Holy Spirit, is a first installment of the full inheritance of salvation and redemption that will come with the return of Christ. So my job, our job, is to receive 
with a grateful and submissive heart what we have been offered in Jesus. That's a pretty good gift, isn't it? Yes, Ken? Ben, I just wanted to add to that, although we're sealed with the Holy Spirit for that wonderful day of redemption, sometimes people forget we have to walk in the Spirit. In other words, we have to follow like Jesus. You just can't uh, be sealed with the Spirit and then do your own thing. You can't be just a one-day-a-week Christian. You have to be following Christ every day and trying to emulate him in all his ways. Yes, I see it uh, in in an analogy. Uh, When people get married, a symbol of their marriage is to wear a ring, right? uh, I don't have one. My wife lost hers, and so mine was melted down, and she wears my ring. But when a person accepts Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, now, there's a very important issue we have to deal with here. Denise, does this mean that everyone must speak in tongues, as some people teach? No, it doesn't, Lynn, although we find in Acts, with the spreading of the gospel at Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit came upon people. And because there were people present who didn't understand each other because they spoke different languages, the Holy Spirit allowed the people to hear the gospel message in their own language. So there were people hearing in their language and speaking in the language of other people that they didn't normally speak in. Um, and one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to guide people into all truth, and that's about spiritual truth, about the truth of who Jesus is. And so nowhere in the Bible is there any instruction that believers must speak in tongues. Um, what is important uh, with the Holy Spirit is the work that the Holy Spirit does, which is to convict us of sin, to lead us to repentance, and to transform our lives um, to live like Jesus. So we cannot grow as Christians without the help of the Holy Spirit, and uh, he is to be our constant companion and he waits for us to invite him into our lives every day. Thank you, Denise. Well, Jerry, the church at Ephesus was commended by God for its stand for righteousness. It serves as a model for Christianity today and represents the church in general following its establishment during the early apostolic era in the first century AD. Now, in Revelation is a commendation. What was the commendation for these people that Paul was writing to at Ephesus? Yes, there's there's a number of commendations, actually, but I'll limit myself to verses 2 and 3, where uh, we read, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Number of commendations there. They get a good rap. I know thy works. God knows what's happening in that church. He knows the activities of the uh, church members. He knows what they've done. I know their labor, the struggle that they 
endure, the perseverance that they require to remain steadfast, and that they can't stand those who are evil. They, there are false teachers, false apostles, if you like, who are coming into the church, and the church is commended for calling out the falsehood and calling it for what it is, which is evil, and taking a firm stand against it. You know, we can learn from that too, can't we? Because throughout the Christian uh, the era of the uh, Christian church, there have always been false teachers coming in. And there is warfare in the church. We know that the enemy, that Satan, focuses his uh, attention on the church and on the pure teachings of the gospel. So there's nothing new under the sun. We have to deal with that in our own time. And it would be easy to, for the sake of peace perhaps, to... I don't know, not, not to do anything about it, but we need to make a firm stand, take a firm stand against it, as they did in Ephesus. And remember that Paul also said in the book of Acts that um, he said, grievous wolves will enter in among you speaking perverse things. They are commended for speaking out against it, for, for keeping the gospel pure. And um, we can learn from that. Yes, uh, that's important, I believe. False teachers teaching false doctrines. And if somebody comes into a church or tries to convince you on a false doctrine, like um, the Ephesians, that person needs to be rejected. Well, amongst these commendations, there was also a criticism in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. What was that criticism, Nick? Yes, uh, Len, because God loves us so much, he tells us how it is, tells us the truth. He's not just petting us. And uh, in Christendom these days, we are used to just to be pet, you know, well done, well done, very good. But God is telling the truth, actually. And he says um, here, if I read in Revelation uh, uh, further in um, in chapter 2, uh, verse 4, for example, he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And verse 5 says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. And he says in verse 6, Yet, this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. God is pointing out here to these believers that they need to remember how they come to God first. If we translate in our language today, love, how we understand it in this context? Have we fallen from where God wants us to be? Have we fallen from uh, the time when we first come to know God and we gave everything what we have to him, time and uh, money and whatever it is, you know. I believe uh, to love God is not only to just say those words, it's mm -hmm. to actually demonstrate that in everyday life. In Matthew, if I will just mention that in Matthew 24, uh, it says there that um, uh, because of lawlessness, in verse 12 says, the love of many will grow what? Will grow cold. And this is what happens. In Philippians also, 
if we look uh, another aspect in uh, chapter uh, one, says love may abound with what? With knowledge. And that's an, a very important thing. If we want to follow God and represent God as he should be represented in this world, we should consider our full dedication to him. And remember maybe those times when we were ready to do anything, whatever it takes to really stand for God. I know myself growing up in communist time that it didn't matter what were the consequences in my life. I just wanted to represent God. Why? Because I loved God. Because I experienced that in my life. I lost my job. God gave me another one. No problem. Um, I lost friends. I gained some other good friends. And so on and so forth. You know, we need to look back at these things and not to be just a casual believer in God. We need to express our faith in God in the true love which we have for him. Yes, that's very good advice, Nick. And it's good to think back. How zealous was I when I first committed myself to the Lord and then compare myself from then to now. And I hope that um, we are not like the uh, people of the church at Ephesus. Well, certainly have to uh, assess our step-by-step, uh, -step, our Christian walk. Uh, the warning, consider how you have fallen, repent and do the things you did at first, in Ephesians, reminds me of the words um, in Isaiah, Isaiah 50, 51 verse 1. It says, um, Hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock from whence you have yearn, and to the hole of the pit from whence you are dug. Look back and assess how far you've got from that original condition. I think it's a, it's, it's wonderful if we could do that in our Christian walk. Yes. Well, now, listeners, we're going to give a summary, a machine gun approach summary of what we've covered today. So we're going to start. There are five points. So let's go. God is actively involved in reconciling lost humanity to himself. God is greatly to be praised for being proactive in formulating a plan to save sinners. God's plan was a plan of substitution. Since there was nothing fallen human beings could do to save themselves and escape the punishment of eternal death, Jesus, God the Word, met the demands of the law and took our punishment upon himself. The only way to be saved is by accepting Jesus' substitutionary death and resurrection on our behalf. The Holy Spirit present in our lives is both the sign of being accepted into the fellowship of the saints as well as being the guarantee of inheriting eternal life. Thank you. The church is made up of individuals. My question for you as we end this program is, have you accepted God's plan for your life? And are you obediently living according to God's divine will? 
So, Ken, would you like to pray for us and the listeners as we end this beautiful study today? Certainly, Len. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Bible containing the words of life. Thank you, Lord, that we can share these words with others. We know, Lord, that you set up a rescue plan to reunite mankind to you through Jesus. Not only that, you had Jesus take all our sins on the cross so that we could become sons and daughters to you, our Heavenly Father. Lord, we pray for all those hearing this message that they would take the time to look into your word and find everlasting life as we see the day of Jesus approaching soon. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for your participation today. Um, the book of Ephesians uh, will be very interesting to look at uh, as we continue to study. Um, as we like to say uh, the gospel uh, in the nutshell in the, in the book of Ephesians. And my dear friend, uh, we are inviting you to join us again next time because we are going to learn a bit more about the power of the exalted Jesus. But don't forget that you can get uh, a book from us, a daily devotional, a wonderful uh, book called God's Amazing Grace. To be able to have this book, you just need to send us a text message to 0482098. And the code for this book is SABS1. Please don't hesitate to send us a text message and enjoy this uh, daily devotional. Until next time, may God richly bless you. Have a wonderful, safe walk in the footsteps of Jesus.